The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod needs faithful Lutheran laymen, commissioned ministers, and pastors to serve on its boards, commissions, and agencies. Nominations are open for the boards of regents at our Concordia universities and seminaries, the LCMS Board of Directors, the Office of National and International Mission, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Concordia Publishing House, and the Commission on Theology and Church Relations. Learn more at issuesetc.org nominations. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod needs you. issuesetc.org nominations. If you come Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to go through listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. Our email address is talkback at issuesetc.org and the comment line 618-223-8382. Both of those venues are open to take your questions, your comments, your criticisms. We love your show suggestions as well. You know what I was doing before you arrived this morning? What's that? I was filling out nominations for boards, agencies, and commissions for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The deadline is this Saturday, October 29th. And once you get started, it's it's a pretty easy process. So if you're uh, issues, et cetera, a listener, you're a layperson, have your pastor fill it out for you. If your pastor, have a fellow pastor, a layperson fill it out for you, but we need Confessional Lutheran serving on our boards, agencies, and commissions for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And that deadline, again, is this coming Saturday, October 29th. The website that you can go to is issuesetc.org slash nominations, issuesetc.org slash nominations. Just don't be one of those sideline sitters who sits on social media and complains about the current state of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. This is your chance to do something about it. Really, truly do something about it. Serve a church body. Issues, and it only takes one nomination. That's right. Exactly. Issuesetc.org slash nominations. This first email comes from Gabriel. He listens in Denmark. He says, the latest Reformation Week podcasts are missing the tag, quote, Reformation Week, end quote. First, Reverend Wilkin, what is a tag? Whenever you post anything, at our, when we post something at our website, our website is not actually, it is a website, but it's a blog format, WordPress blog format, that is masquerading as a website. It's simply a, a very elaborate WordPress blog format that's been customized by people much smarter than us. So they allow you to tag your posts. If you were writing a blog post, you tag it with certain subjects so that people can click on that tag and it'll take them to other blog posts with similar subjects. And so we tag our audio posts the same way. And I try to be consistent, but uh, I missed two of them, tagging them Reformation Week. And that way someone can click Reformation Week, and then, then it's like a search function. It will show you all of the programs that we posted going that are tagged with Reformation Week. This wouldn't apply to people who listen to a podcast provider on their cell phone, right? No. This is just people go to our website and listen, and they go to that episode, scroll down a little bit after the audio player in the, the, the text for the topic and the, and the guest name. And then there's like little, it only applies to the people who are listening from the website, which is not the majority of people, but we still want to make sure we have every, everything going the right way. Well, thanks for listening in Denmark and thanks for alerting us, Gabriel. It sounds like it's already been taken care of. 
From Denmark to Columbus, Ohio, Mark writes, there's a lot of coverage lately about anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Could you perhaps discuss whether it is possible to be less than 100% Zionist or pro-shared state slash pro-Palestine without being labeled anti-Semitic? I realize this is largely adjacent to Lutheran theology, notwithstanding the Jewish people being God's chosen. Thank you. Secondly, is Pastor Brian Wolfmiller's name pronounced Wolf Mueller or Wolf Miller? It's the first one. But I have spent so much time, so many years, and I'll tell you why. I've explained this before. The reason that I pronounce Brian's last name the way I do is because for years and years, I had a dear friend. He was uh, my district president, a fellow pastor, and then eventually first vice president of the Missouri Senate, Herb Miller. Now, it sounds like M-I-L-L-E-R, but it was M-U-E-L-L-E-R. That's the proper pronunciation of that name. Miller, you could say Mueller if you wanted to, but Miller probably is better. What it really is, is it's an M in German. It's an M with a U and an umlaut over the U. When I was learning German, it was when you see an umlaut over a vowel, shape your mouth to say O and then say the vowel that's written there. And that comes out most of the time sounding like an A, something between an A and an E. So this is just a dispute between me and Brian. Brian mispronounces his name. And his name should properly be Wolfmiller. And, uh, you know, I, I can't help it. All right. he, he mispronounces his own name. All so, right. And just like pronouns, you don't get to pick the pronunciation of your name. You don't get to pick it. I, I don't get to spell my last name, W-I-L-K-E-N, and then tell everyone it's pronounced Smith. I don't get to do that. That's just dishonest dealing. Really, my, look, my only gripe with Brian. Really looking forward to our next interview with Pastor Wolf Mueller on the sweet names of death. Yes. Somehow he wrote this, this thing on the sweet names of death and he even talked about it a lot of times in interviews. And it never occurred to us to do a show with him on the sweet names of death. So we're going to do that. And, oh, I got to get to the first question. What was the first question again? Anti-Zionism, oh, yeah. okay. anti-Semitism. This, this is complicated because when you read about Zionism in a political sense, you're talking about a movement that goes back to the establishment of this nation state of Israel after the First World War. And it was a movement very popular. It was kind of, the history is even more complicated than that. But if you talk about that, it's a political movement to establish a state for the ethnically Jewish people. All right? It's not worked out really good. I mean, Israel's still there, but it has been unmitigated war in that region ever since. Do you think it might be the most failed diplomatic policy ever implemented in human history? Maybe. Maybe it, it hasn't worked out very well. Israel's there. Israel is powerful largely because they have the United States as an ally. And I think they have come some kind of strategic purpose there. I don't disagree with the existence of the state of Israel at all. I just don't know that it's worked out well. It's been very expensive to do this. Plus, there are a lot of Palestinians who happen to be Christians, many of them, by the way, who have been cannon fodder in the ongoing disputes of this. So I think Christians have a reason to be concerned and and hesitant to give their wholehearted 
only in a political sense, their wholehearted support to everything that Israel does. Then there's theological Zionism, which also has a long and very complicated history. But it is kind of the view that if you're a Christian, you should support Israel, either for some sort of bogus reasons of biblical prophecy, because you think that the existence of that state today fulfills some sort of biblical prophecy. It doesn't. Or because there's some sort of uh, affinity between Christians religiously and theologically and Jewish theology, and so you should support Israel that way. That's kind of theological Zionism in a very, very, very crude nutshell. And then we have to define anti-Semitism. So anti-Semitism would be a racial, I'm using that term in quotes because I don't believe in race, a racial prejudice against Jewish people just because they're Jewish. And that takes a myriad of forms. It's attached to all kinds of conspiracy theories and political ideas. To think that Israel, the nation state of Israel, is doing something wrong is not anti-Semitic. That's just a political judgment. Let's say Nigeria is doing something wrong is not a racist judgment. It's just a political judgment. You can question things that Israel does. You can question things that a Jewish person does without being anti-Semitic. The crudest example I can think of is, let's say uh, someone who's Jewish gets caught stealing, and then they get pulled into court and they say, Judge, you're being anti-Semitic for sentencing me to fining me for stealing. That's not anti-Semitic. So let's be very careful in our definitions. Christians have no business being anti-Semitic or any form of prejudice. We have no business doing that at all. The conspiracy theories that have been attached to various Jewish entities, are, they are nonsense. They're dangerous. We need to stay away from them entirely. Politically, we ought to support the full rights of every ethnicity in our country. So we have no business doing that. Now, if you go on social media and you happen to say something about Israel probably is abusing their privilege with the Palestinians in any given week, and someone says, that, well, you're anti-Semitic, they don't know what anti-Semitism is. Or if you say, I question Zionism in a political sense, that doesn't make you anti-Semitic. It just makes you probably above average intelligence political observer because the, any, anyone looking at the history of that is, is going to say, it has, has it, was it a good idea? Don't know, but it has not turned out great for anyone involved. So I'm not enough of a political scientist to understand the reasons that there are such strong alliances between the nation state of Israel and the United States. I can guess at a few reasons why it's probably a good idea to have a nuclear-capable country sitting in that area of the world. And that might be the reason. And it looks like they're kind of our only ally in that region right now. You could have said a couple of weeks ago that maybe Saudi Arabia and the Arab Emirates and a couple others over there were frenemies of the U.S., but I don't know if that's the case anymore. But it's an ally that we can't really use, at least publicly. Oh, no. Because if we use them, World War III occurs in the Middle East. Right. We can't use them. In, we, they, we can't use them tactically, but they do serve as strategic. But, you know, they spend a lot of time just defending themselves. 
from attack from the outside. So the Bible does not demand support for the nation state of Israel. No, Why? No. Because the Bible doesn't doesn't know of the nation state of Israel. It's not in prophecy. It's not. But it says Israel in a book in the Bible. It's all over. <laughs> Just do a word search. Yeah, it's all over, and it's talking about that particular that particular family line from Abraham on down. And is it still a valid ethnicity in the world today? Of course it is. But the establishment of the nation state of Israel in the mid-1940s is not the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It's just, a lot of people believed they were fulfilling biblical prophecy. A lot of people still do. But Israel's just another country. That's it. John Hagee disagrees with you. Sure he does. He also believes in blood moons. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one didn't turn out so no. good for old... Mr. Hagee. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Noah's genetics. We're going to hear a story about someone's first experience with Lutheran liturgical worship. And the question, does the word of God condemn, endorse, or definitely treat slavery? We're going through listener email, the issues, etc. comment line, our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our comment line, 618-223-8382. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. The grace of God, the church's music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, jkrause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. Issues, etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues, etc. comment line. The second coming isn't just about the last judgment. It's also about the resurrection of the dead when all the dead will be brought back to life with bodies made new and the faithful will go to dwell with Christ and all believers across all of time 
together. That's a little bit from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. You can give them a call any weekday during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. You know, you mentioned the second coming of Christ. Anywhere in that book where it talks about mass conversion of Jews, particularly in Israel? No. not oh. Also not predicted. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Bill writes, on the last podcast with Chris Rosebro, Chris was talking about the, I think, the purity of Noah's genetics. I think he was referring to Noah's line not being infected by the sons of man. In their thinking, the sons of man took human wives and had kids. By the time of the flood, all humanity was infected like a virus. In one of your podcasts, one of your pastors went down a similar line. Comments, please, concludes Bill. I simply do not know what those passages are referring to. Uh, the, the passages about the sons of God had intercourse with the daughters of men. And since it is not explained, it's one of those unclear passages, unexplained by other passages. I have to simply say, I don't know what they mean. And I'm, I'm willing to entertain guesses, but anything we would say would only be a guess. Now, with respect to Chris's analysis of, we were talking about a, a Bible teacher who had said that Noah was genetically perfect because in the description of Noah there in Genesis, it says that he was righteous in all his generation. Now, that's a way of talking about how God regarded Moses in this wicked generation that had been described and not about his genetic makeup. That's what Chris was trying to point out. And that's, if I recall correctly, that bolstered by the passage that Chris quoted, which was, Noah found favor in God's eyes. That is how Noah is counted righteous in his generation, not because he was unstained by some sort of genetic malady or even unstained by original sin. He was a son of Adam like the rest of us. But that God regarded him with favor and counted him as righteous. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that Noah, it's by faith that Noah is not only counted righteous, but that he obeyed God when he was commanded to build the ark. Yeah, howdy. My name is Dave from Central North Carolina. I wanted to call you. You had mentioned that a lot of podcast listeners skip the commercials, but I just wanted to encourage others to check out the commercials. It was because of you guys that I found Memoria Press several years back, and I could not be happier with the quality of education that my kids are getting now um, through that company. And then more recently... Because of you guys again, I found the Substitute Organist Service, which has been an absolute answer to prayer and a huge relief of burden for my aging organist. And I'm just so thankful that, well, that they advertise with you guys and so we could find out about them. It's, it's been a real blessing. So I just encourage others to listen. I may never be able to get one of those snow cones I hear so much about, but I'm happy to, to listen and support them anyway. Well, if you're ever in the area during the summer months, I would say from when is tropical snow? April through mid-April to mid-September. So if you're ever in the area that time of the year, you can come over. We'll, we'll give you one free. So, Absolutely. Come from North Carolina, probably yeah. more than one. Yeah. So, yes, we're very happy to have our advertisers. We don't just let anybody advertise with issues, et cetera. We have a certain standard here, and Memorial Press and the other great advertisers we have are are fantastic to us. And if you hear something, you're like, oh, I didn't write it, write down you know, the website address. If you go to issuesetc.org, click support, and there's a drop-down menu, it's advertisers. 
in alphabetical order, you'll find all the past, present, and future advertisers of issues, et cetera. Issuesetc.org, support, and then drop-down menu, click advertisers. Paul in Milwaukee, does the word of God condemn, endorse, or not definitely treat slavery? Well, it definitely treats slavery as a subject. It's, it's actually a huge subject in both the Old and the New Testament. It acknowledges the, let's call it for the lack of a better word, the institution, the social institution of slavery. Now, we need to be careful to understand that while slavery is an evil in society, the way it was practiced in the ancient Near East was somewhat different than what we think of as slavery today, which would be, I own this person for the rest and all their descendants for the rest of their lives. That's the kind of slavery that we in the United States and Great Britain and still today in Africa, sad to say, continued to practice for a couple hundred years. And I can beat and rape my slaves. I, I can mistreat them and do anything I want to them. That is not the case in either the Old Testament or the New Testament. There are laws about how you ought to regard slaves. There was the Jubilee where if you had servants or slaves in the 50th year, they were all freed, just set free. So slavery was often a case in the ancient world of debt. Uh, you would kind of hire yourself out to someone for a period of time to dispense with a debt and you were their servant. Now, w was it a, a good institution? No, it's a societal evil. It is. And I think that the scripture paints that picture of it. It's never a good thing. Like Joseph gets sold into into slavery in Egypt, it's not like the writer of the Genesis, of Genesis were saying, and that was a good thing. I wholly approve of the slavery of, of Joseph in Egypt or the slavery of the children of Israel later. So it's a broad term that we have to define case by case in the Bible. It is never condoned. It is recognized in the law. It is acknowledged as a, as a social institution. And as you get to the New Testament, it is acknowledged as Paul talks about it in the same way he talks about any other vocation. He includes it with other vocations, with husband, with wife, with rulers. And he even says, slaves, obey your masters as the Lord, as though your master were the Lord. And he says, masters, do not mistreat your servants. So he acknowledges it. It is never endorsed, but people who found themselves in that social institution, he said, you know, if you can, if you can get your freedom, that's good. But if you can't, obey your master. It was considered to be a valid vocation, a social evil. And the reason I say that is the very same St. Paul who says, obey your masters, writes an entire letter in the New Testament, Philemon, where he is writing about Onesimus, a runaway slave that had come to Paul become a Christian, and then Paul says, okay, I'm going to send you back to Philemon. And he tells Philemon, you now receive him back not as a servant only, but as a brother in Christ. He does not tell Philemon to, to free him. He says, now your relationship has changed. He, he's still in your employ, and I'm doing the right thing by sending him back to you, but receive him back as a brother and no longer a slave. So, I think those who argued 
not only just from a general moral sense that it is immoral for one person to own another person and to enslave them. I think those who argued for the abolition of slavery in the United States and elsewhere, largely Christians who were doing it, by the way, if Christians weren't doing this, we probably would still have slavery in this country because it was Christian preachers and act, they would, would think of them as activists. They were called abolitionists in and around the, the Civil War here in the United States were the primary movers in the abolition of slavery. And they did it on the basis of what the Bible said about slavery. One last email. William writes, the question was asked in your dialogue with Chris Roseboro, how do big box churchgoers attending a Lutheran church for the first time respond to hearing Old Testament epistle and standing for the gospel reading and hearing Psalms in responsive reading? Paraphrase some sorry. My reply is a former Methabapticostal, I wept. No, there was shock and awe, but I wept first. I knew I had been sold on schlock. I knew I had been duped, but the Holy Spirit kept hold of me. Next question to ask, what is the second thing a Christian does in reaction to hearing God's word read in church, hear creeds and Lord's Prayer, absolution of sins? He and his family shut the cardboard box lid of the former church. It may take years and find a confessional Lutheran one, usually the one where you first try to sneak in, the pastor knew you were not of his flock when you were waiting in line for the pastor's greetings slash well wishes after service and crying the whole time you stood in line. The third thing is pastor sees your comment card and arranges a meeting. Confessional Lutheranism remains a net to catch the fish, unwilling to turn their backs on the Lord, who has been so good to them these many years. Gentlemen, I commend you both. You have watered and planted. God will bring the increase and in harvest. Amen, concludes William. And William says, coming up on one year as a confirmed confessional Lutheran. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, William. William, thank you very much. I appreciate your your words there. And it's true. I imagine your experience is not unique. Having been starved of God's word, you didn't even know what you had been robbed of until you came to a church where there was God's word in abundance in the reading of scripture, in the preaching of scripture, in the liturgy. And I imagine it does feel pretty rotten to realize that you had been starved of this for so long. And it really, to me, only highlights the danger of churches who have had, who have tasted of the church's historic way of worshiping and then said, no, we're going to go start worshiping like those churches that are starving their people of God's word. We're going to read scripture less. We're going to have less of God's word and more of our words on Sunday morning. And they're just slowly starving their people to death. When we come back, we're going to spend some time with Greg Mayo, talking with him about men and abortion. He's got a story to tell. Stay tuned. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. 
their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the heart of being a Lutheran, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we wrap up 2 Thessalonians with Don't Grow Weary. Then we mosey right on into St. Luke's Gospel with Intro to Luke, Zechariah and Elizabeth, An Answered Prayer, and Zechariah's Doubt. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry. It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.